Life podcast. We truly hope you'll be inspired and challenged today. Now, let's dive into this message with the family at Pleasant Ridge. Okay, so this month we're going to go be doing a series on prayer. And because prayer is key, and that is because prayer is key to our relationship with God. Um, so the question comes up is, is that, guys, is that not, is that working? Okay. Um, I am plugged in. So, is it good? Okay. Okay, good. Okay, so how should we pray? That comes. Up, that's a question that we that we have, and uh, um, and even the disciples asked that. Um, there's a million ways to have a conversation. I mean, right? Even today with technology, we have new ways to do that. You know, we can do video calls, we can text, send emojis. Um, so, in the same way, there's many ways to approach prayer. And uh, one of the best ways that I found, and it keeps coming up when somebody asks, um, how should I pray? I mean, when I do a search on internet, how should I pray? Um, the best way is just to pray scripture. And a few months ago, I started this adventure on trying to figure out prayer because the topic came up that we we're going to do, and we were going to do it for October. So I, said, so I thought, hey, maybe I should research this a little bit. Um, because I'm not a good prayer. And so uh, one of the uh, books that came up that was really interesting is a little tiny book. I think it's like 30 pages, and it's about this big. Um, but it's called A Simple Way to Pray, and it's by Martin Luther. And the reason he wrote that is because his barber asked him, how should I pray, or how, how do I pray? And so he wrote this little book, and in fact, it's just basically talking about, he works through the Lord's Prayer, and prays through, you know, shows how you can pray through the Lord's Prayer and the importance of that, and then some of the Psalms. And uh, so that was an interesting little book and very insightful. Um, but we can pray scripture. We can consider structure on how, we, how pray, prayer can be formed, especially in corporate worship. In 1 Corinthians 14, 26 through 40, we learn that corporate gatherings of the church should be orderly. Verse 40 says, all things should be done decently and in order. The word order here refers to arrangement or fixed succession, a right order with rank or position. Uh, and structures can help. We do this all the time. It helps us get things done to deal with important things. When we brush our teeth, do we do it right before we eat a meal? No. Usually it's afterwards or before we go to bed. Um, we have structure there. Uh, we may change the structure sometimes if we are getting ready for maybe going on a date. So you might want to brush your teeth before you go out for dinner. But, we, but it's orderly and it's for a purpose. Or we, when we come into this building, generally we go through a certain structure. Now things were changed up a little bit on me this morning. Um, usually we, the normal structure was um, 
You know, we might come in early. If we come early enough, we'll spend some time in fellowship with other believers. Then we gather in here, and an elder gets up and welcomes and, and gives a prayer. We sing together. We might have a verse or two that we listen to or recite together. Um, we have prayer and testimonies. Sometimes we have communion. And then we have sermon. We close in a prayer. And we go out and we fellowship along the way. And so we have a structure on how we do the, how we worship. Even J- Jesus gives us a structure in what is often called the Lord's Prayer, which may be better titled the Disciples' Prayer or the Model Prayer. We can look at the structure, structure as giving praise, our Father in heaven, or yielding and submitting to the will of God, yielding and submitting to the will of God, confessing and repenting of sins, and then asking for specific needs in the Lord's Prayer. And sometimes people reorder this a little bit to an acronym called PRAY, P-R-A-Y, for praise, repenting, asking, and yielding. And then this morning, I used the one that is A-C-T-S, ACTS. Adoration, lifting up God, and giving Him praise that is due Him. If anything, this is the most important. What is the chief end of man? To glorify God and enjoy Him forever. 1 Corinthians 10.31 says, So whatever you do, whether you eat, drink, or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Confession. Admit our sins, for we fall short of God's holiness and need forgiveness. David says this in Psalms 20 or 32.5, I acknowledge my sin to you. I did not cover my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgression to the Lord, and you forgave me. You forgave the iniquity of my heart. Thanksgiving, we should always be giving thanks to the Lord. Paul instructs the Thessalonians in 1 Thessalonians 5:16 through 18, Rejoice always, pray without ceasing. Give thanks in all circumstances. For this is the will of God in Christ, in Christ Jesus for you. And finally, supplication, bringing the needs of others and yourself to God. Philippians 4, 6 says, Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And sometimes we learn a prayer. We learn and recite a prayer. One that came up often in my life, not from my household, but uh, I heard a lot, was God is good, God is great, let us thank him for this food. And that's not even really a prayer, is it? I mean, it's just saying, hey, making the suggestion, let's thank God for this. Um, Another one, Lord in heaven, hear my prayer, keep me in your loving care. Be my guide in all I do. Bless those who love me too. We can't bless our enemies, can we? <laughs> um, that's, you know, what does Christ say? Love your enemies. Do good to those who hate him. And here's another one. This, one, this one's better. I've seen more often on a wall, but I actually was quite surprised when somebody recited it as a prayer. God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, courage to change the things I can, and wisdom to know the difference. Um, Though some recited prayers could be used to address any God, 
or are outright just unbiblical, uh, resuscitation of, a biblic of biblically sound prayers can be good. But if we run, run through them and do not consider the words and their meanings, they are worthless. Just doing it as ritual. If we look back a few verses from the disciples' prayer in Matthew 6, starting in verse 7, Jesus tells us, And when you pray, do not heap up, up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for the many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. I mean, don't just say words. Understand what you are saying. But one of our traditions we often have is to pray starting with Father and ending in Jesus' name. This is a good tradition, but why do we do this? Is it a, is it a structure set forth in Scripture? So the takeaway that I'd like to bring today is since we are children of God, we can approach God the Father because Christ is the... Christ because of Christ, in the power of the Holy Spirit. Since we are children of God, we can approach God the Father because of Christ, in the power of the Holy Spirit. Or to summarize this even more succinctly, because of the gospel, we can pray. A few months ago, as I started thinking about teaching this month, I started reading and listening to sermons about prayer. One of the phrases that kept coming up was, we pray to the Father in the name or authority and merit of the Son and in the power of the Spirit. This was odd because it kept coming up. So I thought, maybe I should dig into this a little bit. And I'm going to share some of what I learned through this. But first, I think we need to take a quick look at the doctrine of the Trinity because this is called, the title is doctrine of, or the Trinitarian Prayer. Um, so what does it mean? In the Sunday school class downstairs, we've been working through some of the doctrines of our faith, I mean, the core doctrines. And Dr. Kimball gives this tenet of the Trinity, these tenets of the Trinity. God is one, God is three. The three persons are fully God. Each of the persons is distinct from each other. The three persons are related to one another eternally as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. There are not three gods, there's one God. This is a mystery. And that's my favorite. This is a mystery. I'm living in time and space, so I'm confined from, by what my experiences are and what is in this physical world. So, it's, so it might be easier to say some of the things that it's not. There are not three gods. There's not one, there's not one god with three different modes or di three different uh, <coughs> forms that he appears in. Christ and the Holy Spirit are not inferior on a lo lower level than God the Father. They are all equal. They are all different. There are three persons, but one God. We pray to the Father in the name of the Son and the power of the Spirit. I want to note, I'm not advocating that we should always be praying with these words, but I believe that this is the way, is the way that we see our Trinitarian God working in and through our prayers. We're going to look at what I have titled Trinitarian Prayer. Ephesians 2.18 says, For through him, Jesus Christ, we both have access, to, access in one spirit to the Father. We will take a look at each part of this, the Father to whom we should pray. Jesus Christ, the reason that we can do so. The Holy Spirit, 
gives us the power and the ability to pray. We pray to the Father. This is an easy one to see as a model that we can glean from. The disciples' prayer starts this way. Our Father. Peter and John, after being released from prison at the beginning of Acts, they met with the believers and they prayed. And they started it with this. Sovereign Lord, who made the heavens and the earth and the seas and everything in them. And this was a community praying together. Congregation. Paul often mentions that he prays to the Father for those that he's writing to. Several times in Ephesians, he mentions this in chapter 1, verse 16 and 17. He tells the church that he remembers them in his prayers to God the Father. And he gives thanks for them. Ephesians 5, 20 says, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father. As a side note, a lot of prayer in Scripture is of thankfulness for what God has done. But why should we do that? Why should we pray to the Father? God is sovereign or Lord above all. Even in the prayer gathering with Peter and John, they started the prayer with Sovereign Lord. In some translations, just use the word Lord. But this one Greek word, depotes, refers to a master with, three, a, a master with supreme authority, with absolute ownership and unrestrained and uncurbed power. And there's only one person that truly has that power, and we get to address him. He is holy, pure, and perfect, free from sin. Isaiah and Isaiah 6, 1 through 5 tells of his vision of seeing the Lord. It says, In the Lord in the year that the in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne. High and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood the seraphim. Each had six wings. Two he covered his face, and with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. And the, the whole earth is filled with his glory. And the foundations of the thresholds shook at the voice of him who called, and the house was filled with smoke. And I said, Woe is me, for I am lost, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of people of unclean lips, for my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. We can see God's glory and power in this. But with the rep- repetition of the word holy, in, in the Hebrew, he is not just holy, but holy times holy times holy, or holy cubed, if you want to do the, the modern uh, translation. Um, God the Father is the creator of all things. He is mighty in power and strength. He is wise. Though the focus of Acts 4.24 is God's sovereignty, part of that sovereignty is expounded on by the phrase, who made heaven and earth and the sea and everything in it. God's wisdom is referred to throughout Scripture, but Romans 16.27 says, To the only wise God, be glory forevermore through Jesus Christ. Amen. Only here indicates that there's no equal to him in his wisdom. And God the Father is the one that pours love upon us. In 1 John 3, 1, it says, So see what kind of love the Father has given us? That we should be called children of God. And so we are. Or as the NASB says, in fact, we are 
children of God. We are called children of God because of his love. But note that this love is an action. He does not just love us. He is actively giving love. Or as some translations put it, he is lavishing love upon us. We should pray to God the Father because he is a sovereign Lord and he actively loves us. But there's a problem. There's a big problem here. Being the sovereign Lord, he is holy. And remember, not just holy, but holy, holy, holy. I don't know about you. Actually, in this context, I think I do. But we are not even close to the first level of holiness on our own. Romans 3, 10 through 12 says, and this is referring to Psalms 14 and Psalms 53, as it is written, none is righteous, no, not one. No one understands, no one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. Further down in Romans 3, in verse 23, Paul says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That is where the next part of the comes into this picture. We pray to the Father in the name of the Son. Or as John Piper puts it, pray to the Father in the name or authority and a merit of the Son. We are unworthy to come before the Father because He is holy and we are not. But because of Jesus, the Son of God, we can. It is because of Him we can approach this throne We can pray to the Father because of the authority and merit of Christ. But why? Because Jesus took our place. He took our sentencing and condemnation. Romans 6.23 tells us that because of our sin, we get death. For the wages of sin is death. But Jesus paid that penalty He received the wages in our place. He took on that penalty of death. We see that revealed in the next part of that verse. But the free gift of God is eternal life. The exception to the penalty of death, this free gift. What is this free gift? This free gift is God's grace. But we have to believe and put our trust in him and Christ's work on the cross as our substitute, taking the penalty of our sin and his rising again to reign as king. Returning to Romans, to, the, to another Romans verse that we looked at, we're going to look at the rest of the story. Starting in chapter 3, verse 23, it says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation or appeasement of God's wrath by his blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance he had passed over former sins. It was to show that his righteousness at at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. The New Living Translation puts it this way. For everyone has sinned. We all fall short of God's glorious standard, yet God, in His grace, freely makes us right in His sight. 
He did this through Christ Jesus when he freed us from the penalty of our sins. For God presented Jesus as a sacrifice for sin. People are made right with God when they believe that Jesus sacrificed his life, shedding his blood. This sacrifice shows that God was being fair when he held back and did not punish those who sinned in times of past. For he was looking ahead and including them in what he would do in this present time. God did this to demonstrate his righteousness. For he himself is holy and just, and he made sinners right in his sight when they believe in Jesus. So going back to Romans 6.23, For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life. And how does that end? In Jesus Christ our Lord. It is because of Christ that we as Christians, as disciples of Christ, having that free gift of grace, are not punished as we deserve, but have eternal life. And we are able to approach God the Father in prayer. But what happened after Christ, after Christ's death and resurrection, after Christ humbled himself as a human and died on a Roman cross, then rose again? Philippians 2, 9 through 11 says, Therefore God, being high, high, therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. God has exalted Christ above all, so much so that just at the name of Jesus things happen. And Christ is our high priest. In the Old Testament, under the Mosaic Covenant, only the high priest was allowed into the Holy of Holies, where God dwelt among the people. And he could, not, and he could only do so once a year. After making a sacrifice of atonement to cleanse himself and the space and the temple, and then sacrifice for the people for their sins. And then the people had to come to the high priest, and he had to have everything in order before he could approach God. And if any one of those things didn't happen, if it wasn't done properly or done right, God commanded immediate death. So if, if the priest did not do what he was supposed to do before he entered God's presence, he would die. And the same for us. Because we are sinners, we would die. But, God, but Christ sacrificed, was the sacrifice for us so that, we can, um, so that we can come before the throne. But because of Jesus' sacrifice for our sins, we have a better high priest. That is Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Hebrews 4, 14 through 16 says, Since we have such a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. We can approach that throne because of God, Jesus. In the name of, Je in the name of Jesus... Is not a throwaway phrase that we say, but we have no access to God without Christ and his name. 
We cannot approach the throne of God without Christ. God the Father is the sovereign Lord and He actively loves us, but we can only come to Him because of Christ, our High Priest, and what He has done for us. This brings me to the last point, in the power of the Spirit. Since I'm not able to do justice to this section, I really thought about maybe I should do a mic and say, let's come back next week. (laughs) But I can't do that. I don't have that opportunity. Somebody else is teaching next week. So, uh, so what does the Holy Spirit have to do with prayer? From Romans 8, 26 through 27, it says, Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches Hearts knows what is in the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. Because we are weak, we need help in our prayers. Even the disciples did not know how to pray. And these guys followed Jesus, and yet they asked in Luke 11.1, they said, said to Jesus, Lord, teach us to pray. Have you ever prayed and just not known what to pray for or how to pray it? We need the Holy Spirit to help us. Every one of us who are true Christians are in fact indwelt by the Holy Spirit. Romans 8 and 9 confirms this. You, however, are not in the flesh but in the Spirit. If in fact the Spirit of God dwells in you, anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. And Ephesians 1, 13 and 14 tells us that the Holy Spirit is, in, is the seal or the mark that we belong to God. Martin Luther said this concerning the Holy Spirit, I believe that I cannot, by my own reason or strength, believe in Jesus Christ, my Lord, or come to him. But the Holy Ghost has called me by the gospel, enlightened me with these gifts. So the gifts of being able to approach the throne and come to him. So the Holy Spirit helps us believe and understand God's grace to us and that we can freely come before the Father. The Holy Spirit will help us to give adoration to the one to whom it is due. He points out and softens our hearts to sin that is in our lives, gives us the ability to be thankful for things, Ephesians 5.20, and bring to mind those needs that someone, the needs of someone to intercede for them, Ephesians 6.18. I'm not sure if you've ever had this experience, but I remember a while, very clearly a while, several years ago, lying in bed, awake for some reason, and some lady came to mind. Somebody I used to have breakfast with, almost a group of us got together and we had breakfast almost every day um, at school. And she came to mind, and I just prayed. And I don't know why, why I was supposed to pray, but I prayed. And uh, that was it. Years later, I mean, it it would have been probably four or five years later, she writes an article about um, what has been going on in our life. She writes an article in our school um, thing that they send out to all their alumni, you know. And at that time, she was going through a very, very 
rough crisis in our life. But the Spirit prompted me just to get it and be up and just pray for that lady out of the blue. I mean, it was years since I had saw, seen her and years since I even found out what the deal was. But um, that's how the Spirit can work and bringing to mind people that need, people's needs. And, you know, even this list is a way to write things down and maybe later today you'll th- think, oh, I need to pray for so-and-so. And that's the Holy Spirit working in your life and helping. So, and then to go back to Romans 8:26, we sometimes do not even know what to say before our sovereign Lord, but the Holy Spirit does, and he can present that before God. So in closing here, the Holy Spirit gives the power to approach our loving Father, the sovereign Lord of all creation. Because of Christ, our substitute and high priest, high priest. If any of the Trinity are missing, we cannot pray effectively. We cannot be in fellowship with God. We pray to the Father in the name or the authority and merit of the Son and in the power of the Holy Spirit. We need to consider this as we approach the throne of grace in prayer. Now, I'm not saying we need to have that structure but this is how God is working through in and through our prayers. It's because God is the Father, is God the Father, we can pray. Because of Jesus Christ, we can approach that throne of the almighty, powerful God with our requests, our needs. And because of the Spirit, we can do that. So let's pray together. If you're interested in more information about our church or knowing the peace that Jesus gives, visit our website at lifeattheridge.church.